Hey, this is Chris. Before we get to the show, let me tell you a little bit about Anchor. Anchor is our way of we record podcasts. Fantastic. Let me tell you why. It's easy. It's free. There are creation tools that we can record and edit your podcast right from your phone and your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on such um, providers as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need in a podcast and so much more. Check out Anchor, and you can find it all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Anchor, it's a fantastic way of creating your first podcast and making it work. Times are changing. Uh, there was a time when being a pastor, uh, carrying clergy credentials could give you access to things that uh, you normally wouldn't have access to. Uh, pastors could typically show up at hospitals any time of the day, whether they're visiting hours or not, and just get access to members of the congregation. And in some pockets, uh, that is no longer happening. I remember several years ago, went to see a member of the church and it was just out of visiting hours, but the only time that I was able to get up there. And when I buzzed to get into this particular part of the hospital and they asked who I was and I said I was the pastor and the lady said, so? Said, Come back at visiting hours. It's like, oh, okay, sorry. It can be frustrating when you think you have access to something, but then realize that no, you actually don't. And this is at the heart of what we see as we look this morning at John chapter 2, verses 13 through 22, where there should have been access for a group of people, but that access was denied. And Jesus responds very strongly. John chapter 2, starting at verse 13, where it says, The Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And we're just going to pause there for one second. We're introduced initially to a couple of problems. And the first issue that we see coming up are some financial scandals that are taking place here at the temple. We see it introduced where it says, as Jesus goes up to Jerusalem to the temple, verse 14 says, in the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons. The, the, the phrase literally means they were bartering. And one of the issues that was somewhat common at the time was because Jewish people lived elsewhere other than Jerusalem, as they made their pilgrimage to Jerusalem for celebrations like the Passover, the religious leaders decided that they wanted to provide a service for those who were traveling from afar. And so as you were coming to make your sacrifices at the tavern, at the temple, instead of lugging your own ox or having to lug extra stuff for the sacrifice, well, we'll sell it for you right here. So just come and you can buy your animal here at the temple for your sacrifice. But there are also money changers sitting there literally money brokers. In Luke chapter 11, verse 17, he re refers to them as robbers or plunderers. 
So what happens is maybe you show up to buy an animal for the sacrifice and realize that, oh, I, I don't have the proper currency. And so, well, we can take care of that for you too. We're a one service station here for you. But, ooh, we're going to charge you a little tax on the money exchanging. And so we're going to line our own pockets. And so all of a sudden it becomes a very profitable system of selling animals or maybe as you've made your trek with your oxen to sacrifice and the, the priests decide to inspect it and say, oh no, this isn't, you can't use this for the sacrifice. It's not pure enough, but we have one here. We've, we've got the special one here that you can buy. And, and then as you walk away, take the oxen that you brought and, oh, here, look at this oxen. We'd love to sell you for sacrifice. And so it becomes this money-making scheme for some of the religious leaders. Now, sometimes we, we take this passage and, you know, Jesus was opposed to selling things at the temple and say, well, it's wrong for if someone does a, a concert at a church or a speaker, they can't sell their books or CDs. And that's not what's happening here in John chapter 2. What's happening here is the religious leaders taking advantage of people. And most predominantly poor people. Financially taking advantage of them. You can see this all over the place. I don't want to call out names, but I know there have been times when I flip through and come across a televangelist who's dressed to a T and talks about the fact that he's got five private jets, but he's asking you to donate to his ministry and other people are donating more private jets and he doesn't need them, but who's he to deprive someone from their offering to God? And saw this firsthand when I was in college in Canton, Ohio. It was a very short drive to a prominent televangelist at the time. And for our psychology class, one of our assignments was to go to one of the services at this church and analyze what was happening from a psychologist's perspective or what was some of the manipulation tactics. It was very fascinating the way that they did one of their many offerings this particular night. So let's say that you gathered and I am this televangelist and I say, if you're here this morning and you're going to give $500, would you stand up and remain standing? If you're going to give $200, why don't you stand up too and remain standing? If you're going to give $100 this morning, would you stand and remain standing? If you're going to give $50, would you stand and remain standing? If you're going to give $20, stand, remain standing. And you see what happens. All of a sudden, you're the last one who's not standing. And suddenly the peer pressure sets in. Well, I guess I got to give something. And no, oh, and then we're going to have a time of healing in our service. And so as you come forward for healing, the ushers are here to receive your offering. You just had one. Sometimes religious leaders can take advantage of the poor. And this is the first thing that sends off the alarms for Jesus as he finds those selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers who are sitting there. This is very common too. Sometimes we, we take for granted that you could walk in and just sit down where you wanted to. There was a time not that long ago when you would have had to pay for the pew that you're sitting in. And despite what you might think, these seats up here were the primary seats. These were the expensive seats. Nowadays, we could flip that and charge extra for the back seats. But these were the prime seats because you could afford the seats up front and you'd walk in and you'd be dressed all nice and people say, wow, look at them. 
wow, look how they're dressed and they have so much money and it became something of grabbing attention and the poor people who couldn't afford, well, they just kind of sat in the back. We see a similar thing all the way back in the New Testament where James talks about you know, giving preferential treatment to somebody who's rich and well-dressed and kind of turning your nose on somebody who's poor and disheveled. But the problem here doesn't stop with the financial scandals as we continue in verse 15. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a den of trade. His disciples remember that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. I just want to invite you, if you're comfortable, just close your eyes for one second. And imagine that you are there at the temple. You've come and you're just minding your own business. You've come there to make your sacrifice. All of a sudden, Jesus shows up. And you've become familiar with Jesus. You've heard the stories. Maybe you've heard him teach on a hillside somewhere. Maybe you've seen the, the gentle way that he ministers to the lame and the blind. And so your focus turns to this Jesus to see, oh, what's he going to do? And you watch this meek, mild prophet with words of love for the outcast and the downtrodden make a whip. Start cracking that whip and turning over tables. If your eyes were closed, you can open them. But what are you feeling in this moment? All right. To wrap your head around Jesus, who always seems so in control. In this moment, he goes ballistic. Talk about causing a scene. He made a whip. And he starts cracking that whip. He goes up to the tables and starts flipping them over. Talk about awkward, to say the least. Uncomfortable, definitely, maybe even feeling threatened. You might want to get out of there quickly before things get even uglier. What happened? When Luke gives the account of this event in Luke chapter 11, it says, And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house should be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. This is the heart of what set Jesus off. Now we can say generally that issue number two is racial issues. Racial issues. This is taking place in the temple. And as you think about the temple, there's only one place that ha would have the room for this kind of thing. As you can see, the map of the temple. You can see within the outer walls, there's large courtyard areas. That was the court of the Gentiles. That's where Gentiles were allowed to go. And that's as far as they were allowed to go. They could not go any further. 
basically everything about the way the temple was built was to say, if this describes you, you can come this far and no farther. And they believed that it was the presence of God that dwelt at the very heart of the temple, the Holy of Holies, but only certain people could get access to the Holy of Holies. And the Gentiles, okay, we'll let you come, we'll let you worship our God, but you've got to stay as far away from his presence as possible. So this was the only spot within the temple that they're allowed to come and worship God. So what's the problem with setting up their shops and their money changing tables and their selling of animals and all that they were doing? What's the problem with doing this in the court of the Gentiles? Well, let's say that we divided our sanctuary in half as it already is. So, hey, we did it. But let's say that we made a rule that said only guys can sit on this side of the church and only women can sit on this side of the church. We're going to divide it like way, way old times. We're going to split the genders, men over here, women over here. But then all of a sudden the men decide, hey, you know what? We want to provide a ministry to our community. And so we want to fix and repair um, refrigerators, microwaves, you name it. And so we decide that, you know what, probably the best thing for us to do when people come into worship, we're going to clear out all of these pews and we're going to use this side of the sanctuary to set up all of the repaired appliances that we fixed. It's a ministry to the community. Now the guys are like, well, look at, we're doing ministry for the Lord. Ladies, what are you thinking? Um, hello, what about us? That's the only place you're letting us sit and you've taken it all away. Now, where are we supposed to be? That's what's happening here. But in, now, even in the temple, there was the court of women. Women could only allowed, were allowed to go so far. But you come to worship God and we've said, mm, we'd love to, but oh, the, the space is being used for other things. Sorry. I guess not today, maybe. Maybe another Sunday, try again. So what they had inadvertently done in the name of a ministry to the people of Israel is, is they have said, Gentiles, we know that you're allowed here to worship, but you know we want to really keep that to a minimum. So, I mean, they could easily set up outside the walls of the temple structure, but they do it inside the temple. They clog up the court of the Gentiles so the Gentiles have no place where they can worship. This, according to Jesus' own words, is what pushes him over the edge. He's angry about what they've made it into, but the starting point, according to Luke, is, is it not written, my house should be called a house of prayer for all the nations? Jesus said, this temple is a place where everybody can come and worship God and draw near to God, no matter where they were born, no matter who their, who their people are, no matter what their life is. If they want to meet God, if they want to draw near to God, they should be able to come. But he says, the Pharisees, you've taken this and you've made it impossible for Gentiles to come and worship God. Because the only place they're allowed to come, you've clogged it up with your little market tables. And now there's no place for the Gentiles to come. There's no place for the nations to come and worship God. In a sense, Jesus is saying everyone's welcome to draw near to God. 
at the heart of the gospel is everybody has access to the gospel. Now we might say, well, why should this matter to me? Unless your lineage is 100% Jewish, Jesus was doing this for you and for me. To say the gospel goes for everybody. Access to God is open to anybody who would draw near. Sometimes we still struggle with that. The first century Christians struggled with that. Because even though they became followers of Jesus, they still adhered to many of their Jewish practices. And now we've got all of these Gentiles starting to become Jesus followers, but they're not doing the Jewish stuff. And so the, the Jewish Christians are like, what do we do with this? They don't do it like we do it. They're, they don't observe the same things we observe. Can we really call them Christians? So much so that a very tense council had to be held in the book of Acts to figure out Okay, what do we do? What does it mean for a Gentile to follow Jesus? You know, what, what kind of things do, are we going to ask of them? And this has been a problem down through the ages of who do we want to have access to the gospel? In the dark days of slavery, we, slave owners didn't want the slaves to hear the gospel because if they heard the gospel, they'd understand freedom and they didn't want them to have access to a message of freedom. And even today, are there people that if they walked into our churches, we'd be like, oh, 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 why? Who invited them? So you think about somebody sitting in this church, is there any person to whom you would say they shouldn't be here? Jesus made it very clear. If somebody wants to seek God, make room. Let him in. The Gentiles looked different. They acted different. They had different customs. I remember years ago, and I think I may have mentioned this before, but there was a song on Christian radio. It was the concept of what if cartoon characters got saved, and the, the singer just used the song as a way to do impressions of all these different cartoon characters. And you know, what if Scooby-Doo got saved? What would his praise sound like in a Scooby-Doo voice? And if the Flintstones got saved, what would their praise sound like? And then he got to a, a popular MTV cartoon at the time, or it was kind of fading by that time, of, of two just washed out teenagers, uh, kind of what we define as druggies. I don't want to say their names in this context, but he mentions these two cartoon characters and he pauses and says, nah. And the crowd in this recording goes crazy. Like, yeah, we're not going to share the gospel with them. That always bothered me. I never liked the cartoon that was in question. But it just triggered in me this thought that this is a stereotype of a person that we don't think would ever want to respond to the gospel. So we're just going to kind of cheer that, no, they'll never get saved. The heart of God from the very beginning of scripture was for all the nations. When God first made his covenant with Abraham and made his covenant with the people of Israel, he made it with this in mind. He said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that through you, all the world, all the nations would be blessed. 
And now here Jesus comes to the temple. And the temple has said, I know we have space for all the nations, but we're going to clog it up so all the nations can't actually gather here. And this pushes Jesus over the edge. He says, my father's house is to be a house of prayer for all the nations. No matter who they are, if they want to meet with God, they should be given access to meet with God. And it continues in verse 18. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it was taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead so that all the nations can have access to God. Remember John 3.16, for God so loved the world. It wasn't for God so loved Israel, though Israel was included. For God so loved the world. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, it addresses this hostility between Jew and Gentile. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. Notice the language there, in Christ Jesus, by the blood of Christ, in himself, through the cross. He has taken this dividing wall of Jews and Gentiles, insiders and outsiders, and he's torn down that wall. So the gospel can have access to all the nations. There, the, the interesting little description, when Jesus dies on the cross, it says the curtain in the temple was torn in two. The curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from everything else the curtain that kept the Holy of Holies sacred and secluded from everybody but the high priest, that curtain rips in two, and now the Holy of Holies is spread everywhere. That all can have access to the Holy of Holies. All can now have access to the very presence of God. Jesus tore down those walls, and I'm grateful. Because in John chapter 2, I would have been one of those people saying, there's no room for me. And Jesus, in his life, death, resurrection, said, yes, there is now. Everybody is welcome who would come to me. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, if you call upon the name of Jesus, the Bible says you will be saved. No matter what, this is the gospel. This is what Jesus died to accomplish, access to God for all people, no matter where they're from, no matter what they've done. And what a beautiful Sunday that we can gather together in this moment and celebrate communion. To 
engage with the presence of Christ in our midst. To be reminded of the sacrifice Jesus made for you. It's one thing to read all these verses about what Jesus did to extend the gospel to the Gentiles and kind of, oh, well, that was really nice of him. But forgetting the fact that that's me. I'm Slovakian and Polish. I am not Jewish. I am glad that Jesus said, oh no, the gospel's for everybody. Because now that means me. That means any one of us. The gospel is open to all who would receive. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that in your sacrifice, you ripped open the curtain of the temple. And now anybody has access.